It's been days in this sweaty jungle, following what your ranger insists is a trail, but looks like just so much muddy underbrush to you. You slap another mosquito off your neck with a male-gloved hand. You're pretty sure you're more mosquito bites than skin from the neck down by this point, and your armor is rusting. Maybe the old trapper was wrong. Maybe it never came this way at all. Stop, the ranger hisses, holding up a dirt-streaked hand. Do you hear that? I don't hear anything, you say. Exactly. It's too quiet. The chatter of birds and skittering of small creatures in the underbrush has utterly disappeared. It's just the wind in the canopy high above you, until you hear the low rumble of a feline throat seeming to come from everywhere at once. Circle up, says the ranger. Remember, it's, it's just an... A long tentacle wraps tight around the ranger's throat, jerking him off his feet with a sickening crunch as he disappears into the darkness. A moment later, the tentacle snakes back into view, stained and dripping. Then a second, followed by two pairs of powerful shoulders, the bushes rustle gently as the six-legged beast comes fully into view, mouth dripping tentacles undulating above it. You swing your greatsword with a mighty battle cry. Your practiced hand swings true, but the gleaming blade finds purchase in nothing but muddy underbrush. From your blind left side, the beast crashes into you, eleven feet and six hundred pounds of pure malice, bearing you to the ground. That low rumble rises again from the beast's chest as you look up into its amber eyes and realize it was laughing. Hello and welcome to Making a Monster, the show where game designers show us their favorite monster and we discover how it works, why it works, and what it means. I'm Lucas Zellers. One of the core tenets of monster theory, the study of monsters in literature, is that fear of the monster is really a kind of desire. We are inexplicably drawn to the frightening, the surreal, and the dangerous. I can't say why this is yet, but I can say it happened to me when I saw my guest's work. Even the simple illustrations of his creature conjured up a fascinating story that now lives rent-free in my imagination. Go ahead and introduce yourself to the listener. Hello, my name is Alfred Von Vogt, but my friends call me Von. I'm an author and a game designer. I tell mostly science fiction stories, but my work for Dungeons and Dragons appears in the Greyhawk setting of the game. Greyhawk is the sword and sorcery setting introduced in 1975 for the original edition of Dungeons and Dragons. Of the monsters you've made, what's your favorite and why? Uh, well, probably the favorite of all of the monsters that I've made for Dungeons and Dragons is one that I came up with a couple of years ago, and I call it the Displacer Beast. It's it's a little bit like a, like a panther. Imagine a panther. Black fur. It has six limbs. It has like the suction-cupped tentacles of a squid and the mind of a serial killer. It's probably the most original creature I've ever designed. Uh, I'm really, really proud of just sort of how unique and new it is, especially in terms of the 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 uh, mechanics that really make it work and make it snappy. In the what games. were the things that influenced you in creating this monster? Well, really, uh, this creature is designed to fill a big gap in the lore of Dungeons and Dragons. 
Uh, and it, it's kind of inspired by the movie Alien. But, you know, I, I kind of wanted to take that story and then retell it almost as if it was from the monster's perspective. So this displacer beast is a super intelligent hunter-killer beast, but it's from another world, really. And really, it's inspired by Earth's apex predators, you know, the big cats, tigers, jaguars, leopards, just, you know, with those long suckered tentacles that it could use to, you know, interact with and maybe manipulate human tools, you know, maybe even open doors. I wanted it to remind you of something that maybe you already knew, maybe something you were already a little bit scared of. Uh, I, I don't know if anybody is like me, but I do have this sort of deep-seated fear of house cats. And, and you know, it, it's something like what you know, but worse and deadlier and scarier and jarringly different. So you brought up the lore. What are the monster's environment and the features that really make it what it is? Well, when I moved this creature to D&D, the only place it could possibly have come from was the Feywild. Of course, it's it's the Feywild, you know, it's where all the crazy stuff lives. It's a pack hunter living in small family groups. So there's usually three or four of these things around. Who knows where they are, right? You'll only usually only find them somewhere where they already have the advantage, like cats. They kind of, they don't play fair. Forest, jungles, places riddled with natural traps, dense undergrowth, sinkholes, probably with skeletons at the bottom. Obviously, it fights with the tentacles. It can use its forelegs too, actually. Uh, Claws, teeth. I invented a new kind of attack for this beast specifically. It's called a bite attack. Uh, Not a lot of other monsters really even have this mechanic. Uh, But it, it can walk on four legs. Since it has six, it can walk on four and then slash you to ribbons with the other two. And the real crown jewel of this is its displacement ability. So it can project a magical illusion of itself three feet away from where it actually is, which is far enough, you know, in D&D terms to make it harder to hit, obviously. Right. All of that sounds really terrifying. What do you want the players to feel when they encounter this monster? Oh, definitely terrified. Terrified is number one, but really deeper than that. I want them to be unsettled. I want them to say, oh, that's like that's like a panther. But but with squid, uh, how did that squid in that? Anyway, I don't really unsettled. It'd be good if they were paranoid. Paranoid is good because they never know where it's going to be. They never even really know where it is when they can see it because it might be to the left. It might be to the right. It might be right on top of them, but they don't even know it. And, And I think that's really speaks to what horror is for me. The genre of horror really is it's about things that flip where you think you're in control, but then there's this moment of reversal where you're not and you suddenly realize, oh, no. It's been hunting me. What is it that makes this creature an effective antagonist to a party? This creature is really at its best when uh, the game master can lead players through like a series of false choices. They really put them inside the creature's wheelhouse right where it wants them, put them under its power. Nature is represented kind of as a, as a passive force. You know, you might call it the law of the jungle or the call of the wild, that sort of thing. But this thing is different. Unlike nature that, you know, might kill you and it doesn't really care. This thing wants to kill you. It's trying to kill you and is using your own assumptions against you, really. Like I said, the mind of a serial killer. One of the things I try to accomplish with this podcast is connecting the game world to the real world. What does this monster tell us about the world we live in? Well, on one hand, I want people to consider 
their relationship to nature. You know, now we might live in a living room and nothing is trying to kill us actively at any moment of the day. Uh, and that might go on for weeks before something does actively try to kill you. I, I mean, it's been probably a month or two for me. Uh, and I want people to remember a time when the, the world wasn't like that. Things that killed you uh, were waiting around every corner. Uh, it seems like you know, it used to be that way. Uh, and and, uh, and it might be again. I mean, there, there's tales of the zombie apocalypse, obviously, but uh, but those things are coming back. Uh, on the other hand, you know, it's just fun. This is the original kind of bug-eyed monster that's not the shape you expect it to be. And it's like, oh, it's like a cat, but with tentacles, with suckers <laughs> on them. I mean, it's just fun. And it's really a worthy opponent. Like, this is a, this is a hard monster to beat. It's physically more powerful than really most players. And mentally, it's not just this big brute with lots of, of teeth and claws. It's mentally there, too. Like, it's smarter than you are. So if you beat it, it's really satisfying, really gives you that kind of mm, right there. All right. I think that's a wrap. Just a couple of housekeeping no, items no, left. No, 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 Stop this. Stop the show. What is going on? Who are you guys? I'm Lucas. No, I'm Lucas. No, I'm Lucas. No, I'm Lucas. No, I'm Lucas. <laughs> I'm Alfred. No, you're not. We'll get to you in a second. I'm going to set the record straight from this travesty you've recorded. The Displacer Beast first appeared in the Greyhawk supplement in 1975. You got that right. But it was a one-to-one recreation of a creature called the Coral. The uh, the Coral was an antagonist in Black Destroyer. That was a 1939 short story by A. E. Van Vogt. Wait, isn't that him? No, not this is. I this don't know is, who this is. Who is this guy? You let him in. Well, this is my show. This is my show. This is my show. Should I go? No. I will thank you, Alfred, not to sully A. E. Van Vogt's name. He started the golden age of science fiction. Black Destroyer and a story called Ixtal were a blatant template for the movie Alien. And I know that's true. <gasps> because, yeah. Because 20th Century Fox settled out of court for 50 grand. No! Yeah! Speaking of blatant templates, those stories were all collected in a novel called Voyage of the Space Beagle in 1950, and it's the archetype for pretty much all of Star Trek. I like Star Trek. Yeah, where intrepid explorers go to a different planet and they encounter a bug-eyed monster and subdue it for the good of science or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So Bug-Eyed Monster, in fact, B-E-M, is such an inside joke among science fiction writers for the subject of those boldly go plots that Gene Roddenberry actually put a character named Bem into the Andromeda TV series. Huh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and by the way, Displacer Beasts don't create a magical illusion. It's a specialized group of nerve endings in the outer layer of their skin that create vibrational movement of sufficient speed to bend and redirect rays of colored light that create the illusion of displacement biologically. That's why adventurers can separate a Displacer Beast's hide from its body and make a displacing cloak out of it, at least according to Ecology of the Displacer Beast by Jen Ob at the University of Sarkawan in I've Dragon Magazine 109, published in May 1986. And finally, a Displacer Beast's tentacles have barbs, not suckers! I've heard it both ways. And who the heck are you? I'm Lucas. I'm Lucas. This is my podcast. This is my podcast. Thanks for listening to Making a Monster. No, if you I'm like Lucas. what you've heard I'm and Lucas you want to support the show, please share house. it with the people you play house. games with. Your recommendation with lets key. people know you they can the trust these guys with Why their time and attention. 
You can also get behind-the-scenes content from the show, previews of upcoming episodes, special live events, and other monstrous perks when you support the show at patreon.com slash Studio. That's patreon.com slash S-C-I-N-T-I-L-L-A studio. I'll see you next week. Or someone will. What I said was completely true. Ha <laughs> ha!